0: I'm Warren Smith, and I'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Here at Ministry Watch, we bring you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, news that we examine from a Christian worldview perspective. Our goal is to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. These midweek extra episodes are a chance for us to go deep with a particular topic, And today, I'm pleased to have back on the program, David French. David wrote an article about Liberty University that I wanted to explore more deeply today. But first, a bit about David's background. David French is a graduate of Lipscomb University in Nashville and also of Harvard's Law School. He spent many years as an attorney with Alliance Defending Freedom, and he was a staff writer for the National Review from 2015 to 2019. He currently serves as senior editor at The Dispatch, where the article that we're going to discuss today first appeared. Well, David French, welcome back to the program. And I wanted to talk to you about an article that you wrote, I guess, this week, of The Moral Collapse of America's Largest Christian University is the name of your article. And of course, you are talking about Liberty University, a a university that um, we've both covered uh, in our respective uh, roles and vocations, and I should say in a spirit of full disclosure that my daughter is a senior at Liberty University, and she has had a fantastic experience there over the last, uh, you know, now almost four years, but that has not prevented me <laughs> from writing or at least editing, because I haven't written all the articles myself. But we've, I, in fact, I did a little count the other day. We've in the last two years we have posted about forty articles that either featured or mentioned Liberty on our Ministry Watch website. And of course, I know you've been covering it as well. So uh, let's jump straight into your article, though. You say there is a moral collapse there, and that uh, you know it's kind of the um, the I don't know the beginning of the end, the end of the beginning,
1: the end of a great institution. Well, you know, we have seen I, one thing I try to distinguish between in the in this article is the difference between an institution that's healthy um, spiritually, that's healthy morally, and an institution that might be healthy financially. And those are not necessarily the same thing. And this is something that a lot of Christians understand instinctively. One of the healthiest institutions in higher education financially is Harvard, right? I mean, Harvard has a uh, has an endowment bigger than the GDP of a lot of countries, right? But would you say that that's what that what uh, Christian institutions should aspire to be is like Harvard? Well, then you'd say no, even though Harvard is prestigious and very wealthy. One of the but what I was trying to get at with liberty is what you have with liberty is this inter, this ex, a situation like we've seen in a lot of ministries, to be honest, where the ministry side, in other words, the we're reaching a lot of people, we have a lot of money, um, is not the whole measure of the place. And what's happened at the leadership of Liberty and let's what's happened in the way that Liberty has treated some of the more vulnerable members of its community is just, it, it's a travesty. It's just a travesty. And so people need to understand when you're talking about a moral collapse, as we know from the world and the prosperity of People who have you know, been through their own moral collapses in the world, that's not the same thing as saying, "Well, liberty's going to lose all its students and liberty's going to lose all its money." Um, that's not the way this all works, but're even if the university is prospering and it's still accountable to uphold its Christian values and for the way it treats vulnerable members of its community.
0: Yeah. Well, I think the precipitate, correct me if I'm wrong on this, David, but I think the precipitating event that caused you to write this story was an article uh, that the investigative journalism organization ProPublica wrote. Um, uh, there, I mean, there have been a lot, like I say, we've written 40 articles and lots have been written, but that that story came out within the last week or 10 days, and that that story documented in great detail uh, what you know some of these what some of these more vulnerable women in particular experienced at liberty, and I should just say in a um, plug of shameless self promotion here ProPublica gave us permission to reprint that story, and you can find that article on the Ministry Watch website. So, David, I'm with you. I think that story is horrible. Um, I th- or let me say it another way. I think the events that that story describe are horrible. The story itself is badly needed, in my view, which is why we asked for permission to to reprint it, um, so so there is that, but but I do want to gently push back, even though I'm in fundamental agreement with you. Um, my, you know, as I said, my daughter goes there; she had a fantastic experience. There's a lot of faculty there that I think are just absolutely first-rate, outstanding people in uh, many ways. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the other thing that I'll say too is I think Liberty. Uh, has a unique place in Christian higher education in this country. If I wanted to major in philosophy or English or religion or Bible or ministry, there are probably 100, maybe 200 Christian colleges in this country that I could go to. But if I want to major in automotive engineering or uh, interior design, which is what my daughter is majoring in, there's only a half a dozen Christian colleges in this country that would allow me to pursue what I believe is a God-given vocation in a particular area in a Christian environment. So I think liberty is worth saving. I think liberty
1: is worth preserving.
0: First of all, do you agree with that?
1: Oh, yeah, it's absolutely worth saving. Um, And I wrote in my piece, I said, tens of thousands of Americans have attended liberty and had wonderful experiences. There's thousands of students and alumni and hundreds of faculty who not only do their best to live out the values of their faith, they're grieved by the corruption of the institution. They don't see enrollment numbers and dollars and donor dollars as proof of righteousness. Um, you know what it reminds me of, and I wrote this: is um, the Connecticut camp, for example. This is a, a camp that is huge um, twenty thousand or so students going through various Connecticut institutions every summer thousands and thousands of students say, I had a great experience. It was fantastic. It was wonderful. I met godly people. Maybe I came to Christ there. But then they had um, a super predator in their midst who operated for about a decade. And, And the senior leaders of the institution had red flags that were, I'm not talking subtle red flags, I'm talking waving giant red flags. And there's been no real accountability. There's been no real accountability. And so You know, one of the things that I think that we have to do as a body of Christ is to say, look, we have to hold people accountable when institutions fail and that we can't have we we've kind of created this inversion where we have this. If somebody is not that important at an institution, let's say you have an RA and an RA at Liberty is caught sleeping with their boyfriend or whatever or girlfriend. They might lose their job as an RA, like post haste, very quickly, immediately, or they're caught out drinking or whatever, violating the Liberty Way. But then we have this culture where at the top levels of the institution, you know, for example, Falwell Jr., a lot of his conduct was open and notorious for a long time, and it was just allowed to continue, allowed to continue. Or we have this situation where people who have... um, come forward with claims of sexual assault and sexual abuse that have been inflicted upon them um, that they've been treated in a way that's fundamentally flawed. Or when a whistleblower said, when a person internally says, Hey, we're not handling these sexual assault and sexual abuse cases in the right way. They're punished. You can hold those people. what, What a lot of times institutions will do is say, well, if you like all the good stuff, if you hold the leadership accountable, you might lose all that good stuff. You know that their other this institution is really, really overall success, successful. Don't mess with it. Don't mess with. It. And my argument is not that that uh, liberty needs to be closed. Heavens no. The argument is that liberty needs to hold its leaders accountable. In the same way we think of uh, the same way we think of secular institutions. You know, I remember. In the, um, you know, in the, during the, the Clinton era, for example, Christians were some of the people leading the charge, saying, "Look, even if the nation is in an attitude of peace, and even if it's prosperity, even if the Cold War is over and the and, and unemployment is shrinking and the GDP is growing, we still need to hold leaders accountable for certain standards of behavior."
0: Yep. Yeah. Well David let me let me interrupt you there because you 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 brought Canna Cook into the mix and I'm going to bring Ravi Zacharias International Ministries into the mix and and sort of, sort of consider these three organizations together and ask you a question um, so so um, I get that and I would not be in favor of closing down Canna Cook, even though again that's another story that we've written a lot about. I think we've written more than a dozen stories about CanCook. And um, and Ravi Zacharias International Ministries as well did did shut down. Uh, it's basically out of business. It's non-existent now because of the scandals there. Uh, so here, here's my question: on a continuum where Ravi Zachariah Zacharias completely shut down, you know, Cana Cook has not shut down. Liberty has not shut down. Liberty, a much, much, much larger institution. At what point? What would be yours, David French's uh, standards or red or or bright lines in the sand to say? That an organization should be shut down. That, uh, that, in, in other words, where the corruption in the organization is so pervasive that, you you know, you just need to take a bulldozer, level the house, and build another house on the lot, uh, which is what essentially has happened at um, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Well, you know,
1: it's—yeah, yeah, yeah I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. I think it's a continuum. I think it's a continuum. So if you have a founder-identified ministry and, the found, and, it, is, and it is still fundamentally founder-identified and the founder has is, is been proven to be, gosh, and, in Ravi's case, the allegations are just sort of staggering, just staggering in their consequence. That is a completely rational uh, and I think appropriate response to those kinds of allegations If you have institutions that, you know, because one of the things about um, um, what we need to be doing in this climate in America is institutional repair. That's I think of our real task right now is one of institutional repair, not institutional destruction. And so I'm very leery of saying that something like a college or a 100 year old camp should be destroyed, like the, the institution should end. But I'm very much into institutional renewal and institutional repair and institutional accountability. And so if you have individuals, for example, whatever their other virtues, and maybe they were good at this or that, whatever their other virtues, one of their problems is they overlooked signs of grotesque sexual abuse. They don't need to have a job. They don't need to have a job and and that that seems to me to be a minimal kind of ask just a minimal kind of ask and and you know that level of accountability alone i think is going to be if you can actually have that level of accountability you're going to see a lot of institutional repair but what we have right now is a lot of institutional decay because people escape accountability and people can and 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 essentially they act with impunity because they escape accountability that's what Falwell Jr. did for years and years and years I mean like I said yeah you know the worst kept secret in American evangelicalism for a while was that Jerry Falwell Jr. was out of control um I mean this was known (laughs) this was known it's sort of like you know talking about how Harvey Weinstein and I'm not comparing the gravity of what Weinstein did to to uh, Falwell, but how that was open and notorious. That was, it was a poorly kept secret. A lot of these, these Christian, these ministry problems are very poorly kept secrets. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, we're talking about open and notorious stuff. Well, that, 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 that come, let me come back to my question then and push
0: on what you just said a little bit, because you're right. Jerry Falwell's, um, uh, behavior was widely known, at least among the folks close to him. So, so let's look at, you know, say Liberty, since that's what your article was about. Uh, who else should go? Jerry Falwell Jr. has obviously gone. Uh, there are lots of people that had to keep their mouths shut for him to stay there as long as he did. Should the board uh, go? Should uh, senior leadership
1: there go? And who makes those decisions? Yeah, that's a really good question. And Rachel Hollander had a really good uh, statement on Twitter where she basically said, look, you need to bring independent investigators who take not just a look at how Liberty handled the Title IX issue. These are the complaints. These are the sexual assault and sexual abuse um, complaints that were there's a lot of convincing evidence from ProPublica just handled horribly. Uh, not just to look at this, but to take a top to bottom sort of institutional audit of the university. And this is something that's not unknown in secular uh, institutions that are trying to get healthy is to retain outside investigators and have them do a top to bottom, you know, essentially audit of the leadership at the university and then let the chips fall where they may. I mean, th- th- again, this is one of the reasons why, you, you know, a healthy institutions should have quite uh, independent boards that are not cozy and in and. and Close relationships with founders. I mean, one of the troubling reports we saw from Julie Royce was that, um, look, Liberty sends money to the ministries of members of the board. Um, That's a problem. And let me modify one other thing, Warren, about um, when should an institution close. If an institution has done damage to individuals, it is obligated to do justice, to make that right as much as it can. And if an institution has to drain its financial coffers and sell its assets to make restitution to victims of its own negligence, well, then it's got to do that. It's got to do that. There is there's not an, an obligation of institutional existence that supersedes the obligation to do justice. And so I do think there there is a modification there of when should a institution fall An institution should fall when the only way for it to truly compensate the victim of victims of its own wrongdoing is to expend its assets in that in that effort. Yeah. Well, we've talked about Cantacook, we've
0: talked about Liberty, we've talked about Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. These are obviously three very high-profile scandals, but there are, David, as you know, 300,000 churches in this country, more than a million Christian ministries in this country. Uh, Is there rot within uh, the evangelical movement, or are these just bad apples uh, that maybe threaten to
1: spread rot, but right now— the rot is contained to these bad apples what's your opinion about that i think the rot's pretty widespread to be honest now i that doesn't mean that i'm not saying most pastors i'm not saying most institutions i'm saying it is a pre, it is a, a an experience with abuse uh and corruption within american congregations is way it is is distressingly common Distra- just in my own life and dealing with the congregations that I've been a part of. You know, I've been I was a part of a congregation where a pastor, the senior pastor, ran off with the church secretary. I was part of another congregation where the youth pastor was caught online in chat rooms, um, you know, in engaging in in grotesquely inappropriate conduct online. I mean, I've been a part of congregations where financial malfeasance was uncovered. I mean, these are the kinds of things that, you know, and that's just my experience. And, and, you know, my wife, she's written very publicly about this. She was subjected to sexual abuse when she was only 12 years old by a uh, church pastor. I mean, the, and, and you go out in the, in the, in the rest of the uh, United States and you just again and again and again, you run into folks who in the small towns and the big towns and the small congregations and the big congregations have these stories and it's grievous and it's devastating, and it doesn't have to be most churches for it to be a severe, severe issue. Um, and I think I feel like for too long, a lot of times, what we've done in the church is we've just spent so much time looking outside the church and going, Look how bad the world is, look how bad the world is, look how bad the world is, and then and then we've had sort of this poisonous fruit inside the walls and then again this is something that this is something that is we should understand from from you know the biblical text here i mean one of my favorite tweets about the new testament that's not a phrase you'll hear me say much often tweets about the new (laughs) testament but one of my favorite tweets about the new testament was one where someone was summarizing paul's epistles and he said he had two themes one was we're heirs to the unimaginable uh, glory of God through the unfathomable grace of God. And the number two is, can't you freaks be normal for five minutes? <laughs> and and I feel like the same message is still resonant today. Yep.
0: Well, you know, David, I read uh, this devotional book, um, uh, not every morning, but some mornings. And um, yesterday, Isaiah, I think it's chapter six, where Isaiah um, says, woe is me, um, I, you know, I'm a man of un- unclean lips and I live uh, among unclean people. And it seems to me that, that as Christians, we've kind of, especially modern evangelical Christians today, American Christians, we've kind of got that just the opposite, That that we're very quick to point out that we live among an unclean people, but we're not so quick to say first I'm an unclean person myself that i that I am woe is me I am a man of unclean lips and um so it sounds to me that both that verse and what you are saying suggests that we should look in the mirror much more often and much more carefully than we have in the past
1: yes that that is absolutely correct it is absolutely correct, and you know one of the things that ends up happening is that when we aren't looking in the mirror um, and we're not aware of the high calling on our lives, then the church just starts to look a lot like the world (laughs) and, and sometimes worse, uh, sometimes worse. You know, there's that verse in Corinthians that I see among you things you don't even see in the Gentiles. (laughs) And, and, you know, so we have to be honest and fearless about looking at what, you know, how, how we're living. Are we the, are, am I the person of unclean lips? And that's not just institutionally as a church is individually. And, and I think those of us who are often um, find ourselves in a position where we're um, critiquing some things that have happened in, in Christian ministries, we got to be super aware of that in our own lives mm-hmm. in our own institutions. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, a, deeply profound and important calling, I think, to to look in the mirror.
0: Well, David, thank you so much for being on the podcast today, for um, forcing me and um, maybe some of our listeners to look in the mirror, and uh, also, I think, uh, encouraging us not to remain silent when we see things. It occurs to me that a part of the reason that some of the stuff that we've been reporting on happens is that, like you said with Jerry Falwell Jr., people know about it. It's an open secret. It's a notorious open secret, but too often we just keep our mouth shut.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, blessings, David. Thank you so much for being on the program. Good to be with you again. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate
0: it. Before we go today, I'd like to remind you that you can find the article that we discussed today about Liberty University over at The Dispatch, where David is a senior editor. I'd like to add in closing that Ministry Watch has published nearly 100 articles in the past two years that either mentions or features Liberty University. To find them, just go to ministrywatch.com and type Liberty University into the search engine. Our Cook coverage, which now amounts to about 20 stories, as well as our coverage of the Southern Baptist Convention and other organizations we discussed today, can also be found at ministrywatch.com. Finally, a reminder that because of the Thanksgiving holiday, we will not be posting an episode of the Ministry Watch podcast on Friday. And that means this is the last episode before Giving Tuesday. If you have found the work of Ministry Watch to be a blessing to you, I hope you'll consider a gift on Giving Tuesday or sometime between now and the end of the year. Just go to ministrywatch.com and hit the donate button. At the top of the page, the producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Ben Warwick. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DeBerry, and Casey Suddeth. I'm Warren Smith, and until next time, may God bless you.